Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report, Finance Presenter on ABC News and Columnist for The New Daily. And I'm Stephen Main, Contributor at Eureka, Founder of Crikey, Shareholder Advocate and City of Manningham Councillor. And we are The, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. Well, there's so much to talk about, Stephen. We just need to get stuck right into it, don't we? There's just oh, It's all happening. Oh, markets, central banks, energy crisis. This is fantastic. Lucky there's no corporate news because nothing ever happens in June and July. On the corporate front, there's no results. There's no AGM. So thank God we've got an energy crisis and a market crisis to talk about. We have. Well, we, no, no, we, we do. And we've got um, the Federal Reserve last night putting up interest rates by 75 basis points, 0.75%. Um, so, uh, not I suppose, before time. Well, not before time. You're a bit of a interest rate hawk, are you, Stephen? Well, I mean, both RBA and the Fed massively behind the curve, stupidly allowing inflation to get out of control, pumping up the economy, causing bubbles everywhere. And so, of course, they're going to have to come in and crunch inflation and get it back to 2%, which is what they're finally doing, thank God. Um, yes. Well, uh, I think there is a philosophical debate to be had about whether inflation needs to be 2% and what the hell's wrong with 3 or 4%, really. Um, and, and the other thing to point out, perhaps, is, Stephen, that the, that the Fed and the Reserve Bank of Australia have been deliberately behind the curve. They've been telling us they're going to be behind the curve and they've been saying that they will not act preemptively. And my big problem with Mr Lowe, I don't, I don't know so much about... Powell, I suppose Powell as well in the, in the Federal Reserve, but Lowe um, didn't really prepare us for the change of mind. They've switched from being, um, from looking at uh, inflation in hindsight to acting preemptively and didn't really kind of prepare us. And it was interesting on Tuesday night when Philip Lowe appeared on the 7.30 report, which, um, or 7.30 as it's now called, um, uh, a very rare interview. Mm. Lee Sales tackled him about, you know, well, last October you said interest rates wouldn't change until 2024. And he said, well, you know, but that was conditional. And we've always said it was conditional. But a few, couple of problems with that. One is that that was actually the ninth time he said that. So it's not as if he just said that, came up with that on the spot. That's like, that was the ninth time. And yeah. so they've been saying for ages... And it wasn't that it was preemptive. Oh, sorry, it wasn't that it was just conditional. He said he, he was quite firm about 2024. Mm. I mean, it was a little bit con uh, conditional, but really... And also, uh, ordinary people don't understand the nuances of central bank language. No. No. So, you know, th if the governor says interest rates, he thinks interest rates gonna, aren't going to change till 2024, then they're going to say, OK, that's fine. It's so in my New Daily column this morning, I said... There is a case for a class action I against the Reserve Bank. I agree with you. I've Bank. emailed the head of Morris Blackburn Class Actions and asked him if he thinks it's got credibility. And I copied in your column, and I haven't heard back yet, but I agree. I mean, we've been misled. This is a massive profit-warning equivalent, the profits of people who've just taken out mortgages since October last year, thinking there'd be no move till 2024, and they're massively out of pocket, both in interest, cost, and capital value, given the impact it'll have on house prices. So... I think that the government should be paying out hundreds of, you know, billions of dollars in compensation to people who are misled by the government's Reserve Bank boss. So uh, what I said in the column is that it won't happen because all the lawyers, Morris Blackburn knows that judges are as attuned to the nuances of language and so on as the central bank is. So the judge would never actually... But what a great uh, case. Uh, what, a a PR, what a PR move for Morris Blackburn to take on 
the, the Morrison central bank. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, Philip Lowe's got to go. His contract finishes If you were Jim up. Chalmers, you'd sack him, wouldn't you? Well, no, his contract's up in September next year. And, you know, if there's any doubt about a renewal, I'd be letting him know you won't be renewed. So we're in, and I'd be announcing the successor now and effectively letting them, you know, occupy the chair because he's, his guidance has been terrible, and um, I think the rest of the board also needs to be held to account because presumably they backed that as well. I can't help but think it was a politicised decision to remain behind the curve. They're all appointed by the coalition. The Treasury Secretary's on the board. Why weren't they jacking up interest rates? You know, three and six months before the election, I think they just didn't want to upset the government. Because I can't see the economic reasons for keeping interest rates. No, but they put it up during the campaign. I well, mean, no, no, when they could see the polls showed the change of government was happening, they read the tea leaves. You always got to back the winner type thing. Oh, they hung them out to dry then. Oh yeah, they finished them off by jacking up the interest rates, knowing there'd be a change of government and inflation had started to emerge by then as well. But it was even that was too late. No, as I pointed out in my column this morning, the. Um, uh, when they announced, when they said in October that the interest rates wouldn't change till 2024, they'd already seen 3.8% inflation in the June quarter of last year, and in the September quarter it was 3%. In the uh, March quarter of this year, 3.5%. So, you know, it's already been three quarters of 3% plus inflation. You know. Yeah, no, I, I, look, um, I, I, I completely agree with you. Their credibility has never been lower in my 20 years of watching them since Keating overdid it, putting interest rates up too high. So in the independent era of Reserve Bank governors, i.e. post-Costello Treasurer on, my mind is, is the Reserve Bank's credibility has never been lower than now. And hence we need board and management changes. And even a rule that says you can't make long-dated predictions. I mean, who knows? They should just say the, the trajectory is up and that's the only forecast we're making. But not saying, you know, hey, I'm looking through my, 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 my binoculars and in 2024 the rates are going to be this. I mean, how does he know that? No company comes out and says what we're going to do in 2024. No, so, indeed. Anyway. Good point, Stephen. Now, um, as for the everyone, you know, all these poor mortgage holders who've taken out loans for 550000 in the last six months, I mean, got to keep this in perspective. The housing market's worth $10 trillion. The total mortgages market is worth $2 trillion, And two-thirds of all houses in Australia do not have a mortgage. So it is a relatively small number of people. I know a couple of your kids are in this category, but it's a relatively small number of people who have hocked themselves to the eyeballs in the last six months and are facing, you know, some sort of a calamity. And don't forget we've got 3.5 trillion of super sitting there and only 2 trillion of house, household mortgages. So the balance sheet overall, super value of houses and mortgages is actually pretty good and we can absorb some higher interest rates. But house prices do need to come off maybe 10 or 15%. Uh, well, yes, but look, there's a relatively small number of people who are homeless. You know, there's a relatively small number of people who are ill. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, you've got to look after everybody. Yeah. And so the, the the aggregate, this is the problem with the Reserve Bank, is that they only look at aggregate numbers. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I'm not saying they should do otherwise. I mean, but but uh, the, the there are, there's a very disproportionate impact of their decisions that has nothing to do with the averages and the aggregates. It's got to do with 
um, people at the edges and the extremes. I mean, there are obviously a lot of rich people who, for whom this is um, terrific news that interest rates are going up. Um, well, you know, I mean, there's also f- f- people who've put up $40 billion worth of uh, bonds in nursing homes and all the nursing home providers have been going broke because they've been getting no interest on the bonds. And so the business model of residential care industry, in the city of Manningham, we own a, a $10 million facility, we're better off because we can make some money on that $40 billion of nursing home bonds. So it's not just rich people who have cash. It's also a lot of no, poor no. people who haven't put aside indeed, bonds. And indeed, that's stuff. correct. So, uh, so uh, just on the markets, Stephen, the, the global index is down 21%. Uh, year to date, so a, a global bear market we're in. But we're only down 14%, the ASX 200, off the, off the peaks from last August. So we're relatively, what, 14% well, that's is because, not too bad. No, 14% is not too bad, uh, but it's only because uh, the resources stocks have gone up. Yeah, we're, ben- we're a commodities economy, so we're benefiting prices. from the Ukraine crisis. So the, the ASX 200, or All Ordinaries Index, is kind of meaningless, really, because yeah. it's um, an average of some going up, some going down. And we haven't had the crazy tech bubble that the US have had. Like, I mean, Netflix shares are down 75%. And sure, Zip is down from oh, 10 but, bucks but, to 50 but cents, our, but they're not as huge a proportion of Stephen, the index. Our index, our technology index, is down more than the NASDAQ. Yeah, but it's, it's only a, relative, it's a relatively immaterial part of the overall index. You know, we've got big banks and big resources oh, and yes, the supermarkets no, no, duopoly I'm not, I'm not and CSL. That's correct, but, you know... Yeah. If CSL we've, was we've down by 75%, you'd all be worried, wouldn't you? Yes. But it's not. It's down, what, 14%, probably about the same as the market. Pretty modest I haven't, I haven't looked, to be honest. But No, but the point being that we've had, a, in Australia, we've had a bigger tech bust than America has in, in, in the small confines of our tech yeah, sector. But, but their tech, you're talking trillions of wealth wiped out. With our tech, you're talking, what, a billion at zip? You know, like it's it's just not a material Zip is number. down 90%. I know, but... You don't to, mind. From not much to not much is my point there. I mean, Bitcoin for me is is the the, the, the crypto bubble. For me, that's the, that's the worst element of this loose monetary policy. I mean, Bitcoin has gone from being worth US 1.3 trillion to 400 billion. It's down 70%. You know, and so with a global market off 21%, to have the number one crypto down 70%, that is the bursting of a bubble focused in the US. Sure. Like the big techs. And, um, you know, I wish Bitcoin would go back to being worth, you know, 20 billion, not 400 billion. But, um, you know, this crypto thing's just taken off and hopefully this is going to wipe it out because it's just rubbish. Well, then it's not rubbish. It's not worth $20,000 a pop. I like that. That's Bill, Kate, Bill Gates' comment. It's a market based on the next fall. Yes, of course. Yes, you've got to have another fall that to pay true. more. That, so, no, that's uh, true. So he's right. That is true. Yes. Now, um, I mean, with the Reserve Bank, would you, you know, do you hold the board to account? Like, all these directors were appointed, Carolyn Houston, Ian Harper, Wendy Craig, Mark Barnaber, Alison Watkins, Carol Schwartz. Would they have said to Phil Lowe, hey, you know, we've got a credibility problem. Go on 7.30 for 15 minutes. Because he never gives press conferences. I mean, oh, he Jerome would. Powell this morning, he's, he's taking questions for an hour. Yeah. It was fantastic. There was like 30 journalists all passing the microphone around. It was great television. Mm. And, and, you know, we just get a statement. So be accountable. And going on the 7.30 report, I mean, I hope you've asked him for an interview. You should. I presume everyone is now saying, well, now you've spoken to 7.30. Where's my interview? 
Yes, I know. I haven't asked for an interview because I know he's going to say no because he's done his interview. Bag- That's it. And you've been, I know, and you've been bagging him as well. So he's not going to reward you for nice coverage, which is no, the he's way, not going to reward me. And he knows that I'm going to. I mean, I, I would have given him. I would have been so much tougher on him than Lee Sales, dear, oh dear. Yeah, I but mean, she knows the game. You get the rare interview. You know, you're not going to tear him apart. No, but when when she asked him about you know what he said in October last year, she said. What's changed between then and now? Well, I presume she rang you up to get briefed before the interview. She did not. Well, where's Team ABC at the moment? I mean, surely you ring the guru. She must have read your columns, though, because she was quoting some of your stuff about, you know, back in October you were saying this and you've been inaccurate and you've been creating false impressions and all that sort of stuff. So. The other thing that happened this week, which you, which is not on our list of topics, which we possibly could briefly discuss, is the... Um, suspension of the Google employee who said that the chatbot is sentient. Did you pick that up? <laughs> I haven't followed it in detail, so... But you must have seen it. Well, I've saw it. His, his name's yeah, Blake, Blake Lemoyne. Yeah, so and why do you think this is dramatic? What's well, it's just, it's just um, sparked a global debate yes. about whether a, a artificial intelligence is or can be sentient and have consciousness. Which, which I personally find fascinating and, I mean, it's a, possibly a bit esoteric um, uh, because I think that it's an interesting, how can I put it, it's an interesting um, uh, window into the uh, uh, world of René Descartes mm. who proposed back in the mid-17th century that the mind and body are separate and the mind is metaphysical. So... But since then, we've come up with the idea that actually the mind and consciousness is physical and is all about neurons in the brain. And if it's physical, then it can actually, you would think, possibly be replicated um, in a computer if it was big enough. Anyway, look, I, I just – so this is clearly not something you're no, particularly I, I, engaged well, in, Stephen. Well, I haven't, so sort of, I I haven't gone up, uphill and down there, but I just do like the idea of, of someone from a big tech speaking out of school because they are control freaks, those big techers. Well, they never turn up at conferences. They never answer press queries. They just don't talk to anyone. And it's interesting that Blake Lemoyne got stood down on, on pay, full paid leave, um, for breaching their confidentiality policies, they so are. that it was he was meant to keep it secret. They're cults. They just they're so obsessed with confidentiality and secrecy. All those big techs, particularly Apple, Google, and Facebook. So uh, well done to Blake for anyway, speaking enough, out. Uh, enough about Renee Descartes, Stephen. Come on. Now, energy crisis. We've got to now cover we need that to, one off. We need to do the questions. No, no, we're going to do the energy crisis first. We've only, we've only got seven questions. So oh. I just want to say that I reckon that we've had a massive market failure in the energy sector, not just a political failure, that the energy sector is, a, is, is not designed for a spot price. So when Alan Stockdale, the Vic Treasurer, and all the Victorians were doing their privatisations in the mid-'90s and insisting on a small government, get the government out of here, let's have buyers and sellers like the stock market. It was a ridiculous concept back then. It had no, took no weight of the fact that there would be myriad renewable players down the track bidding zero, which is what's happened, and basically stuffing the economics of all the big coal boys. And then 
there's been clearly there's a failure in in there's been market gaming going on with the coal availability. It's not just they're all clunkers that are breaking down. Even though it is 1950s technology, it's like you know running a 50 year old kettle. But um, I think we need a full blown review into the market. Where there's been all sorts of political failures. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull initially said we're going to spend two billion dollars in four years to deliver Snowy 2.0. It's going to be $10 billion over 10 years to deliver Snowy 2.0. It's crowded out four or five other pumped hydro options. And the CEO of Snowy Hydro, Paul Broad, is still there nine years in the job. I mean, someone must have said to Turnbull, we can do this in two years, in four years for $2 billion. So it's just this hybrid government, markets, private, different states. And I think Matt Keane's got it right. He's moving back to command and control with these regional renewable bids in Sydney. He's saying this particular part of Sydney, reverse auction, come in with your bid, we'll give you a long-term take-or-pay contract. That is back to the old government command and control. And in my view, that's where it needs to land. And forget about spot prices and, you know, going from zero to $800 and all this rubbish. And also get rid of all these door-to-door salesmen trying to get people to change energy supplier, confusing everyone and harassing everyone. That has been a failure as well. The only thing that's worked in competition with power is regional monopolies in the poles and wire business where you compare them for efficiency and then give them regulated outcome based on the comparisons. This was not a market designed for, you know, the Queen Victoria market with 200 traders all competing for someone's service because people are overpaying even at the household level because it's so confusing. Well, well Stephen, you're a socialist city councillor, and um, but I happen to agree with you mostly. And I think um, the problem with the... The bidding system that they've got in the national energy market that's run by AEMO is that, and the way it works is that they they have an auction every five minutes, which is fine when the price differential between the bidders is not that great. But the problem we've got now is that with solar and wind, during the day, during the middle of the day, the the marginal price is zero. Zero, yeah. And so, therefore, it completely... Um, blows up. And they, the shouldn't whole... be, they shouldn't be allowed to so be zero. There got... should be a floor price set by the government, which so is if you, the minimum right. price so, is ten bucks or whatever. Yeah. And so if you've got if you've got bidders in an auction, whose whose marginal cost is zero, it's going the, the auction is la- not going to work because the last bidder sets the price. Of course, for everyone. Well, so right. this market is just it's just it's, totally flawed. So, so I do hope they. they so have a it's possible that it's possible we don't go back to the auction system at all. Oh, I think um, it's, it's it yeah it. Yeah, this should be the moment. Never waste a crisis. So, new government cancelled the market temporarily, and let the let the old socialist left elbow come in and 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 get back to a bit of command and control. At the end of the day, keeping the lights on is an essential service, and you can't leave it to you can't. Some no, crazy I totally agree, Stephen. Absolutely to, uh, not. I mean, you, you can't have you can't really have a totally free market. In an essential service, no, I correct. think that that is. And there's so many a other, there's point. so many other sectors where it doesn't operate. I mean, you know, Medicare, the health market, is it a free market? No, it's not. The Transport Accident Commission in Victoria, it's a monopoly insurer for everyone who's injured on the roads. Great outcome, lowest premiums in the state, in the country, highest benefits, whole of life benefits, and the government's creamed off 10 billion of monopoly profits since they introduced it. I mean, a great solution, not a market player to be seen anywhere. Yeah. So every product and sector needs to be flexible and non-ideological as to how much market-driven structure and incentives you have. And, and the other um, uh, the other point we should actually raise is the fact that the that nine years of coalition has completely stuffed it. Mm. And Angus Taylor 
bears a lot of responsibility. He does. He does. I mean, he has been such a... He's been an entirely hopeless energy minister. I agree. Completely hopeless and, and really... Um, it's an absolute disgrace. And, and Turnbull doing Snowy Hydro, it was a bit like the, the, the coalition now saying, uh, nu- nuclear, let's do nuclear. It's like there was all this pressure on Turnbull and he had to be seen to be doing something. So he's going, oh, let's pay $5 billion to buy out Victoria and New South Wales from Snowy Hydro and let's spend another $2 billion doing Snowy 2.0. Therefore, look at me, I'm credible on renewables. And it was so rushed, so stupid. A massive mistake up with his subs mistake and, 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 and stuffing up the NBN as well. So the more I look at Malcolm, the less impressed I am with his record, actually, to be honest. Yes, but he's um, not as unimpressive oh, he's as an impressive his successor. Oh, I can agree, I I agree just, with that too. Can I just propose that to you? That, yes, and that, both of them are more impressive really than the current bloke, current opposition leader. Yeah. Who's terrible. Well, he's come out. he came out yesterday and blamed... Chris Bowen for the energy crisis. I know, I know. I mean... It's embarrassing. Every day he opens his mouth, it's embarrassing. Yeah. You know how I reckon they'll finish him off? I think the Teals will run in the Victorian election and will decapitate a couple of key Victorian Liberals, such as the Victorian Liberal leader Matthew Guy in Bulleen, and the campaign will be a vote for Matthew Guy is a vote for Peter Dutton. And the Teal will win, and then the federal coalition will say... Dutton's toxic, and just like the Queensland election finished off Abbott when Campbell Newman lost in one term two weeks after Knights and Dames, I think a Victorian Liberal wipeout with Dutton not able to visit Victoria for the whole campaign, which I predict he won't do because he's so toxic, that'll force him to move on him. But then the only viable leader is Simon Birmingham, and he's in the wrong house, so I can't see who they put back in the in the top. No, two. well, in fact, the problem is that uh, for them is that if if Albanese doesn't Albanese doesn't mess it up, he's a three-term well, no, prime minister, two, and two, two term. This is too early. Yeah. I mean, like the, uh, whoever is opposition leader is in that is in that yeah, job well, for Dutton, a long time, Dutton so the, they'll leave him there Dutton for a while. Will be the Alexander Downer, the Simon Crean, the, the Brendan, Brendan Nelson. Nelson. <laughs> exactly. The, someone's got to get walloped and do the job, the thankless job in the first year or two, That's and then it. you put someone in who can possibly win. Exactly. So they won't be knocking off Peter Dutton this year. Well. Once I mean, the Liberals in no Victoria get will. wiped out with Dutton billboards all over Melbourne, I think they may reconsider that because he is most unelectable political leader that's been thrown up by a federal government since Billy's, Billy McMahon. So can we do the questions now, yes. Stephen? Yes, yes, boss. Okay. Uh, Robbie says, it's tax time. Can I sell my shares that are trading below purchase price, gain the tax deduction and rebuy them at the lower price? Seems like an easy way to save a dollar. Stephen? Absolutely, you can do that. But as long as you've got some capital gains to offset the loss, there's no point taking a loss you can't claim. And also, don't forget that if the stock then strongly recovers, you have to wait 12 months to get the capital gains discount on that. And often, if you're suffering a loss, it's just better to get out entirely. I mean, if you're down 20%, maybe you should get out entirely. So, you know, sometimes it's better to sell a dog permanently rather than being too clever by half on your tax. But uh, yes... You can do that, Robbie, and I'd probably recommend it. James, you got anything to add on that? No. James says, thanks for a great podcast. Last week, Alan and James offered an explanation of why the RBA could not simply cancel the $350 billion of government debt on their books. That is, essentially, the RBA would, quote, go broke if it cancelled the debt. My question is, what does it actually mean for a central bank to, quote, go broke in a country like 
Australia. There's a bit more, but let's just deal with that. Were you right, Alan, when you said that? Or well, not? it would be. I mean, it, it, the it, it would the the assets would disappear, but it would retain the liabilities. So its balance sheet would be come insolvent. Now, the, but but James is right that you know it's a government body, so it's not going to it's not going to you know so call they, in the receivers. So they could. I mean, I th- I want to see them do it for for ten billion. Just no one's tried it yet. I want to see them to say, okay, the three fifty billion is now three forty billion. We've cancelled ten billion of printed money debt. And I would just like to see what well, the yes, reaction could, is. Well, they could do that, but it yeah. wouldn't make any difference to anything. Yeah, exactly. So they're not going to go broke if they do that. Not if they cancel ten billion, but they yeah. would if they would. If they cancel in the theory, lot. so it's cancel just, in it's, theory. it's the same so, as the whole money mean? printing thing. It's all a question of the proportion of it and yeah. how much of it there is. Yeah, but the main problem, James, is that it it would be rather awkward for for the central bank, which is a bank after yeah. all. It's not just a government yeah. body; it is actually a bank. Yeah. It would be a bit awkward for it to be broke. Well, it's, no. I mean, I'm, I'm it's not a good look. They, you know, they all have to be. They'd all be hanging their heads. I'm and saying be terrible. That I, I their think morale it's a, be down. A natural Imagine progression that. of all the money printing is for some of this debt to eventually be cancelled. And I'm just waiting for a central bank in a credible country to try it to see what happens because no one's tried it as far as I've seen. Yeah, after no, all no, this ridiculous be, printing, it'd be, look, it'd be very interesting. It's true. Ali says, hello again, love the show. I'm a big fan of oat milk and I can see the market in America becoming competitive for these products. Should oat milk, other alternatives, be the next, could oat milk, etc., be the next A2 milk? Do you think there's anything on the ASX right now that has involvement in oat milk? Something like an Australian version Oatly? FYI, my humble opinion, the best tasting oat milk in Australia is the Australian-owned alternative dairy company and I'd buy some shares in a heartbeat. Yes, but you can't because it's a Central Coast, New South Wales, privately owned company that's been going for 30 years and I couldn't even find out who the owners were when I was Googling it this morning. So, um, And you've mentioned, Ali, you've mentioned Oatly, which is the sort of the most globally famous oat company based out of Sweden. And then it got bought partly by Blackstone, partly by the Chinese government. Then they floated at $17 a share on the NASDAQ. And now the stock's at $4.36. So it's been a total wipeout. And they've been involved in all these controversies. They're a convicted greenwasher. They're always getting into fights. Convicted greenwasher? Yeah, because they do all these, wow, no cow ads. And they make all these claims about their oat and how their products are, you know, better than everyone else's. And it is interesting in Australia that oat has now uh, usurped soy from the number two spot in terms of plant-based milk in Australia. So oat used to be three and now it's gone up to number two. But I'm not aware of any public companies which are big dominant players in oat in Australia. No. Well, like, look, oat milk makes my coffee taste like porridge and I'm not, not happy about it at all. Yes. Now, Jeff says, I'm a long-term subscriber listener from Singapore and really enjoy the pot. For cash that one would like to have on call but with a goal for some nominal return, what do you think about the principal risk associated with BetaShares AAA, Australian High Interest Cash ETF, please? And he basically says, is it going to break the buck? Is there any risk to my capital? Do you recommend it effectively? And uh, 
I had a look at it, Alan, and it looks very solid. They got one point eight billion dollars well, yeah, de- but, deposited. Know, th- tiny returns. What they, all they do is that they they deposit the money with half a dozen banks. Yeah, ben, in, so, in this case, uh, Bendigo, uh, NAB, Citibank, Mitsubishi. Yeah, and but charge point one eighteen point, eighteen points. Eighteen points yeah. for the privilege. I mean, you got to think. You got to think carefully about paying them eighteen basis points to hold points your cash to hold to to put the money in the bank. Why don't you put the money in the bank yourself? Yeah, I agree. And the returns have been what one year it's been point two eight, and I mean, three years it's been point six eight. Yes, it's better than the bank bill swap rate, but gee, yeah, it's hardly anything. I, mean, to write I, know home I accept that it's it's probably a bit complicated to invest or put deposit the money into six banks yourself. Yeah, that's a bit complicated. So if you want to do that, you might get them to do it for eighteen basis points. But why put it in six banks anyway? Yeah. That's right. I mean, you can just put it in just, one bank. Just go and go for it. Why do you need this cash on call? I mean, just lock it up for six months or lock up, keep 20 grand spare and lock up whatever you don't need for six months. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't bother with a, 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 a player, an ETF taking 18 basis points when it's only returning 28 basis points on a, on a well, annualised exactly basis. exactly right. I mean, it's crikey. That's 40% of the return. They're, they're taking half the return. Fee. Yeah, very me. skinny return. Yeah. Terence says... Appreciate your advice on calculating calculation of capital gains tax where a taxpayer has net capital gain resulting from sales of shares. Some with gains, some with losses, some of the sold shares were held for 12 months and some for less than 12 months. Do the shares sold at a loss need to be held for at least 12 months for the losses to be eligible to offset against the gains on shares that were held for over 12 months? Therefore, taxed at 50%. I had absolutely no idea what I just said, Stephen. Well, the answer is no. There is not a length of holding requirement for claiming a capital loss. You can buy Bitcoin yesterday and sell them tomorrow and lose 50%, and you can fully tax deduct a lot. Whereas, obviously, on the upside... Only against the capital gain. Yeah, against the capital gain. Whereas, obviously, on the upside, the government's tried to discourage all this speculative day trading by giving you a 50% discount if you hang on to your investments for more than 12 months. But, uh, yes, there's no penalty for how quickly you, you rack up your loss. Anonymous writes, so let's call him Elon Buffett. So Elon Buffett writes, love the podcast. In response to the first... Warren Musk, perhaps. Warren Musk, yes. In response to the first home super saver question you answered on the last pod, where to allocate your super? Last I checked, investment returns were fixed at CPI plus two-thirds of a percentage point, i.e. your super allocation is irrelevant in terms of the return on the money which eventually goes into your home. And Anonymous would also be great to hear your view on the proposed split of Ernst & Young, auditing separating, separate from consulting, given that, that uh, Anonymous works there and wants to know what are the motives and who will benefit. Well, so, okay, what about the first bit? Well, the first bit I think um, that he's just answering a question for us is that um, if you do put your money and you can put up to 15 grand a year into this first home super saver question and from July the 1st the amount you can then take out for your first home purchase is been, is increasing from 30,000 to 50,000. So this is a scheme that's been running for 5 years. So is it is it CPI plus 2 thirds of a percentage I, point? I, I haven't even looked at that. I think he's probably right. He's in, he works at EY so I don't see why Mr. Buffett would be wrong. Oh on yes, that. He, no, you're right. So I think he is correct. It doesn't matter if you're in growth or cash or whatever. It's just a deemed return when they return your funds for the home no, for the enough. home mortgage. On the EY situation, 
Um, I'm never a fan of these service firms. Um, oh, I reckon my partners going public. Like you don't see McKinsey going public, and law firms don't often go public. So no, he's not. He's talking about the split from yeah. separating audit from consulting. Yeah, I know. But I get, think that should be mandated. I reckon governments ought to intervene and make all these. These yeah, accounting they're firms float, split. They're, they're going to float the thing, aren't they? So then you're going to have to pay the shareholders oh, no. well, and pay the partners. Thing. And I don't think no, service no, firms are suited to public markets. Oh, I, I like agree that. with that, but I think they should. Yeah. Don't you think they should split? They should definitely all split. Oh, there's nothing a good Chinese wall can't sort out within a big four firm. I mean, the auditors should oh. hopefully be able to keep keep people honest, and they can do I, a bit of tax advice. Absolutely, for, for do not the trust Chinese wall. Chinese walls are rubbish. But big four firms are very credible. The bigger they are, you know, if only the big four firms were auditing all the all the Chinese. I don't think companies. they're credible at all. Well, I do. I think the accountants are the most trustworthy profession, along with doctors and nurses. And you don't meet too many dishonest accountants. And so I like whenever I see a big four name, I usually find they're good on governance. You're you're absolutely amazing, me, St- Stephen. And I'm not being sarcastic, as you suggested last week when you were talking to the Chanticleer. So no, I do I do like the big four. I think they are friends of the shareholders and good for governance and accountability. So I don't think they should split. And I think it's all motivated by the partners in the consulting business getting a payday from the public markets. Well, I'm. I'm speechless, so we need to move on. Jonathan says, on Tuesday, Philip Lowe said that much of the increase in inflation was due to global factors such as the Ukraine war and supply chain disruptions. If inflation is not being attributed to too much demand, why smack households with the biggest rise in 20 years? Am I missing something? Well, no, you're not. Um, it is um, the biggest rise in 20 years, but that's a that's a that's just a headline way of not saying that at 0.85% interest rates are still historically incredibly low, which they are. No, but the point, the point is that it is largely external factors, but the thing is that the only method of controlling inflation that we as a society have is by putting up interest rates. That's it. And so, and, and the way that interest rates work is by smacking uh, households and reducing demand. So uh, obviously it does nothing for energy and food prices caused by the Ukraine war, but all it does is reduce demand. But I'm going to disagree with you in saying the only way we can get rid of inflation. I mean, if you've got a supply chain issue, such as not enough microchips, then governments can go in and, you know, uh, emergency orders to crank up microchips and that will bring down inflation on car prices. So governments can do things on the supply side things as well. But they don't. Yeah, but, but you are right. They obviously can't stop a war, but the Reserve, Reserve Bank will reduce inflation with these moves. They will increase unemployment, which we need because it's, it's over full employment at the moment. There's a massive amount of job vacancies. And people will spend less with interest rates rising. We need to reduce demand because there's too much money chasing too few goods and services and employees at the moment. Precisely. And we need to bring that back. Well, that's right, but the point is that that is the way that inflation is controlled, even though it isn't caused by demand. I mean, often inflation is caused by high demand and low unemployment. That is true, and sometimes uh, the interest rates do act directly on that, but that is not the case this time. Yes. And I think that uh, we just need to observe that yes. fact. Yes, well, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. But uh, now we've finished the questions. My final couple of snippets is um, the next two of the next three money cafes I'm scheduled to do with you, Alan, clashing with the only two AGMs in June and July that are are of interest. So Thursday, June 30, we've got the CSR AGM, which will be in Sydney. Then Macquarie on Thursday, July 28, 
I'm hoping will be in Melbourne. And I want you to come with me and I want to give you a proxy and you and I will stand up and ask the Millionaire's Factory an hour's worth of interesting questions and then we'll duck out with Greg to the cafe and record the Money Cafe immediately once the AGM is done. Do we have a date? It'll be a lot of fun. Your first so everybody, AGM. Everybody, he has put this on me and I'm sitting here <laughs> squirming. <laughs> this is, this is un, uh, an unscheduled... Request. request. Just say you'll take it on notice like a good politician. I'll take it on I'll notice, I'll get back Stephen. to you in writing at I'll some get point. back to you. I'll, I'll take that on notice. I'm not sure whether I feel like standing up at the Macquarie AGM and asking Stephen Maine's questions. No, you ask your own. You ask great questions. You know, because you did once do a Nicholas Moore interview and it was a bit of a once-over lightly and it's such a complex beast, Macquarie. I don't I, even remember that. Yeah, it was a, it was a ten-minute interview and it was... You've done about 10 minutes research and uh, yeah, it wasn't your best interview for such a complex piece. But I'd love to have you come along to Macquarie. All and right. final farewell is farewell to Crown Resorts, which is now going to be privatised. There's nothing stopping the deal. The court approved it yesterday. The regulators have all approved it. The stock's trading at 13.09 today and the office at 13.10. So that tells me that Blackstone is not going to walk away, even if they get a $500 million fine from Track for money laundering. So after... 25 years on the public markets. It's farewell to Crown and good luck to James Packer with his $3.3 billion cash check that he's about to get from the New York private equity boys. So it's time for a new yacht. New $200 million yacht. Will he move into Barangaroo now that he no longer owns the place? So that's also interesting given he paid $60 million for one of those apartments up there. Better than our house, mate. Okay, so. that's it, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Money Cafe. I'll be back next week with James Thompson. Send in your questions uh, to themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. Until next week, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report, etc., etc. And I'm Stephen Mayne, contributor at Eureka, founder of Crikey, shareholder advocate, blah, 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 poorly paid counsellor. See you in a fortnight.